Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we thank you so much for being the God of our salvation. And Lord, you are also the Lord that teaches us. And so, Lord, we come wanting to be taught by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Genesis 45, verse 1. Genesis 45, 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? His brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Abraham and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Okay, now this is quite a passage here. The great um, disclosing to the brothers that he is that the governor, he is Joseph. So in our study, what we've done here is we've come to this greatest revelation to the Jewish family of Jacob in the Bible, which is the revelation that the most powerful man on the earth is their brother, Joseph. And this account is beyond just what it is here on the surface. It's a prophecy of the greatest revelation that's going to ever happen to the Jewish people when the revelation is that the Lord God Almighty is their Jewish brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we've seen in our account is that the timing of this revelation is so critical. It's so essential here. I mean, the governor that was Joseph, he didn't just disclose to the brothers that he was he was Joseph, their brother, until the brothers were made ready. They had to be made ready. And that's crucial because for the brothers to be made ready, really to receive Joseph, because this is the Joseph that they despised. This is the Joseph that they rejected. And this is the great significance of the previous chapter, 44, where the brothers were made ready to receive Joseph, whom they despised and rejected. And so this never could have happened in chapter 45 here unless there was a verse 16 of the previous chapter, chapter 44, verse 16, where it says, And Judah said, What shall we say unto the Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? 
God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. This is a great statement that showed that the brothers are now ready. They're now ready to find out that the governor is Joseph. But in this statement here, in verse 16 of 44, 16, what you see here is a great change that had happened to Judah, to the brothers, really to every person, whether they're Jew or a Gentile, they have to come to this place before they're ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 16, 44, 16, there are really four confessions embedded in their statement. The first confession is where Judah says, and Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? Now, when Judah says that he has no more to say, he doesn't know how he would say it if he had something to say, and he has nothing to clear himself, that's a confession. You know, I I like to sail. I like to sail. Sailing's a hobby. And if I leave San Diego Bay, which I rarely do, but anyway, if I do, I always stay within sight of the shore. (laughs) I never want to lose sight of the shore. But sometimes, just in, in sort of daydreaming, reveling out there, Sometimes I turn my back to the shore and I just look out over the vast expanse of the ocean and I wonder, what would it be like to sail across the Pacific, you know? But, and it's a scary thing. It's scary to think about what would happen. What would happen if this boat got in trouble? And I kind of go through all the parts of the boat and think, what if there was a hole here? <laughs> what if there was a hole there, you know? And so, you know, I, I read all these stories about what happens to sailors when their boat gets in trouble and they get damaged out there in sea? Like the family that was off the coast of the Philippines when a large transport ship struck their sailboat in the middle of the night and then this transport just kept sailing along. Actually, somebody at the transport seat looked down and said, oh, that's too bad. And they just kept on going and leaving them with taking on water in this gaping hole in the side of their ship. Or like the man who was delivering a new boat from San Francisco down to San Diego, and he was sailing down the coast when a humpback whale felt that the boat was threatening her calf. And so with one swing of her tail, she left this massive hole in the side of the new sailboat, and the water was taking it in. And, you know, and I, I like to read about what all these people do. And, so, and when you read about them, there are just certain similarities that you find. I mean, right after the boat is damaged, you know, there is this rush of adrenaline there, and there's this instinctive, you know, jump out of the bunk if it's at night or whatever, and, and it's, uh, it's like, grab the pillows, grab the, the blankets, uh, try to make a plug for the hole, you know, and start rushing in there, get the sump pump running, you know, engaged, you know, protect the batteries from the water so that they don't short out. And so that's the kind of jump into action. That's a first phase. You always see that. The action, the action phase where the priority is SOS, you know, save our ship. And so, the, you know, the ship is like, a, you know, it's obviously it's the only hope and, and all the efforts have got to be, to be made to save the ship. And so there's a clinging to the ship because it's the only way to survive at sea. And that's the action phase. It's, action phase. it's all about we can save this ship. We can do it. We just have to put our brains and our strength to it, and we'll overcome this. We'll get through this. And if the damage is really bad, which it was in those two cases there, actually, I think when the transport hit it, I think it, like, cut the boat in two. But anyway, but next comes the next phase, which is the exhaustion phase, you know, where there's just utter exhaustion just takes over. It's like, you know, we can't think fast enough. We can't move fast enough. We know we can't keep this water from coming in. 
We can't get rid of the water that's in here. This is an exhaustion phase. And then comes a third part where it's almost instantaneous. It's like an, an assessment phase where there's just a quick evaluation where the, the sailors actually stop for just enough time to, to look around and see what they've done and what's going on and realize we can't do this. And they realize, okay, there's no way that we can continue to save the ship. And that's the time when they realize the ship is going to sink. And if they continue to work to try to save the ship, they're going to go down with the ship. And then comes the abandoned ship phase. You know, the abandoned ship phases, that's when they all run for the life raft, you know, and detach it from the ship and deploy the CO2 cartridge for the self-inflating. And they get their EPIRB signaling device, so it's it's telling where they are. And, and you know, and they grab anything they, they think is necessary off the ship. That abandoned phase is a complete change where they no longer see the ship as their hope, but now they look to the life raft as their only hope. So those four phases are very interesting because you see that in all the sailor survival stories, you know, where ships go down. There's the action phase of we're in trouble, but we got to get to work, but we can save the ship. Then there's the exhaustion phase of we're worn out trying to get ourselves out of trouble. And then the assessment phase of, you know, we haven't succeeded to get out of trouble. And then there's the give up you know, the abandoned phase. Those four phases are what you see here in the brothers. And that's what's come to make them ready to receive Joseph. They've gone through the action phase. You know, they've gone through the, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble with what we did to Joseph, but we've got a plan and we're in action on it. We're on it. You know, we got a story about a wild beast, you know, and then we're in trouble with, with what we, we have to bring uh, Benjamin down, but we're on it. We're in action here. And we got Judah here. He's making himself surety as a guarantee to bring back Benjamin. And then they go through the exhaustion phase of, oh, we're just facing one trouble after another from the governors accusing us of being spies. And our father doesn't believe us. He thinks we murdered Joseph and the money keeps reappearing in our sacks. And now the silver cup is a Benjamin sack. And it's like, oh no. And so then there comes the assessment phase where they realize we can't get out of one trouble fast enough before we find ourselves in the next trouble. We're just, just not good at getting out of trouble. And then comes the abandonment phase. That's verse 16. Verse 16 is abandoned ship, which is the verse 16 in chapter 44, when Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? This is when the brothers come to the conclusion they cannot save themselves. This is when the brothers abandon the SS self. Okay. And, and when we work with a lost friend and ask ourselves the question, why won't this person come to the Lord? What's holding him back? The answer is always the same. The answer is, is that he hasn't come to the abandoned self phase. He's still trying to SOS, save our ship. He's trying to save the SS self. And so, so that's why Genesis 44, 16 is so important because it shows us how the brothers had come to the abandoned self and now they're prepared to receive Joseph. So verse 16, 44, 16, it shows us that another essential thing here is that the brothers had come to understand that before they were ready to receive Joseph, it was, as it says in verse 16, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. You know, here the brothers realized that all their troubles were not coming from the brother or from their father, but from God. This is all God. This is all about God. And it's interesting that they use the word found. 
found. God, in verse 16, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. You know, that means that the brothers, Judah, they knew that God was on their trail. You know, and they were playing a hide, hide and seek with God. They were hiding from God. They were running away from God. And that was necessary for the brothers to recognize that before they could come and receive Joseph, they had to realize that it was God who was pursuing them. And they had to realize that their lives were miserable because God was pursuing them. That's what Paul came to realize in Acts 9.3. Acts 9.3 of his conversion when it says, And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he answered, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, the Lord Jesus knew it was hard for Paul to kick against the thorns. It's not easy to kick against thorns. <laughs> I mean, who likes to kick against thorns? Kick against thorns. You know, the more you kick, the more they hurt. You know, and, and, and it was, this was Paul's time to realize that God had found out the iniquity of Paul when he persecuted the Christians. The brothers had found out that it was hard for them to kick against the thorns in their lives. And so when Judah says in 4416, when Judah says in verse 16, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants, it represents a very basic, a very crucial decision that Judah is now turning to God. He knows he needs God. And doesn't it seem strange to you when you read about this that Judah doesn't say anything about Benjamin? I mean, for sure, the brothers and Judah, they got Benjamin and they said, now you tell us the truth. Did you steal that silver cup? And Benjamin is sitting there saying, on my life, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I'm sure they believed Benjamin. And because, you know, anyway. And Judah says nothing to the governor about, you know, Benjamin didn't steal the cup. And they have no idea how the cup got into Benjamin's sack. And nothing like that. They don't say anything like that. Why? Why not? Why doesn't he try to justify on really a false accusation? Because the brothers had turned their eyes now away from the governor. They turned their eyes away from the steward who put the money twice back into their sacks. And that was all horizontal vision. And now the brothers now turn their eyes upward, the vertical, and they're looking to God and they realize that all of these accusations, whether they're true, whether they're false, they're all coming from one source. They're all coming from God. And all their problems have come down to, in verse 16, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Now, Job was in a very similar situation where there were so many disasters. He could hardly catch his breath between one disaster and the next, and they hit him. I mean, it was the Sabaeans who came and stole his oxen, and then there was the lightning that came and killed his sheep. And then there was the Chaldeans that came and stole his camels. And then the hurricane that came and killed his children, which is one on the heels of the other, one after the other. But Job, it's, Job doesn't start with, well, let's do an investigation here. Let's try to figure out, well, let's really study, what, how did this happen? The Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, the weather, and so forth. But all Job says about it all is in Job 9.15. Job 9.15, where Job says, whom... Though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. 
You know, and it, what Job is saying there is that all this that's happened to me, it's all boiled down to one thing. I need God. I need God. And that's the hardest thing for a lost person to realize, that he needs God. And that's what Judah realizes here, that they needed God. So, and then the last thing they, that, they, they, that they realize there in verse 16, Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Now, that represents a total surrender, a total surrender, which in the case of the brothers represented a total surrender to, to, to be the, the servants there. So these are the phases that were necessary for the brothers to be prepared for Joseph to disclose to them that, that he's Joseph. See, first there was the abandonment of self, and then there was the stop running away from God, and then the turning to God, and then the surrender to God. And those are the same four steps that any person has to come to in order to be ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta abandon self. You gotta stop running away from God. You gotta confess, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And you gotta realize, I need God. And then a full surrender to God. And that's what it took for the clouds to pass away and make them ready for the greatest behold in their lives, which was the behold of, behold your brother which Joseph is the governor. Behold your brother. As he says in verse 4, Genesis 45, 4, I am Joseph, your brother. Now, this is what it's also going to take for the clouds to pass away to make the Jewish people ready for the greatest. Behold, in their lives, when looking at the Lord Jesus, they will be told in Isaiah 40, verse 9, Isaiah 40, verse 9, behold your God. Behold your God. Okay, now, all the criteria has been met. The brothers are ready now to have Joseph disclose to them. And Joseph makes the statement to them in verse 3, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. And then Joseph immediately has a question for them. This is something that's been burning on his mind. So he no longer, he no sooner says, I am Joseph, but then he follows up with this question, doth my father yet live? Now that seems like a strange thing to us. Why? There's something that happened in the first visit that we didn't really see it until the brothers reported back to their father of what happened. But it tells us in Genesis 43.7, Genesis 43.7, that when they were, they were there in Egypt and they were telling Jacob what happened, it says, and they said, in other words, the brothers said to their father Jacob, they said, the man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred saying, is your father yet alive? And have you another brother? And we told him according to tenor of these words, so forth. So during the first visit, evidently, Joseph had asked them specifically if Jacob was still alive. Is your father yet alive? So he probed him on that on the first visit. And then the second visit, in chapter 43, 27, 43, 27, he says, and he asked them of their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? So he's found out in the first visit that Jacob's alive. He's found, already found out that Jacob is alive. So it seems strange to us that he asked them if the father was still alive. The father was still alive. He just found out. He knows the father is still alive. Why did he do that? That's the question. Why did he do that? Embedded in that question is a very important strategy that he has. Why do you think that Joseph asked them again if the father was still alive? I mean, why is he so fixated on the father being alive? He knows it. He's alive. 
It was because there was a special relationship, as we know, between Joseph and Jacob, special relationship. Now, for one thing, it shows how Joseph's heart is yearning for his father, Jacob. So if that's the case, that there's a special relationship between Joseph and Jacob, what was it about what Judah said in chapter 4431? What was it about what Judah said in 4431 that really shook Joseph up to the core? What did Judah say that really shook Joseph up? What was it? He said, our father's going to die <laughs> if we don't come back with Benjamin. So you can see now from that statement, I mean, they didn't even know that he's Joseph, but God led them to say that. When they said that, that really shook Joseph up and that he could be responsible for putting his father's life in danger, you know, and through these trials. So right at that point, when they said that, the trial was going to be over. <laughs> they weren't going to go back without Benjamin. So anyways, his question here in verse 3, chapter 45, verse 3, in verse 3, doth my father yet live? It's clear that Joseph had already made the decision that all this pressure in disguise was, was going to end soon because he wasn't going to jeopardize the life of his father, Jacob. But what we can see in Joseph's question is that, like I said, there's a special relationship between Joseph and Jacob and how Joseph refers to, to Jacob when he says, doth my father yet live? You know, he didn't say, doth your father yet live, which he'd said in the past. And he didn't even say, doth our father yet live? But he says, doth my father yet live? Now, from his question here, doth my father yet live? These words were very encouraging to the brothers. How was that encouraging to the brothers? How do you think that was encouraging to the brothers? How was it encouraging for the brothers to hear Joseph say, doth my father yet live? What do you think? Or do you think it was encouraging or not discouraging? <laughs> think it was discouraging? <laughs> okay, but it was encouraging. Hey, you got an idea? Okay. So what this does is it shows to the brother that this is the basis for their reconciliation with Joseph. See, Joseph's question about his father showed to the brothers that this is how they're going to be able to come together again. It was their common father. They were the brothers because they had the same father, not because they had the same mother, because they had the same father. And we have to remember here the extreme anguish and the extreme mental and emotional exhaustion, because they're at that phase, that they had, they needed some pretty significant, the brothers needed some pretty significant comfort and encouragement right about this time. And this is the first encouragement that Joseph is giving them, which is very welcome for them, because Joseph is sensitive to the fact that the brothers were needing some serious encouragement, and this is it. And the encouragement came to the brothers just at the right time. The brothers are worn out. They're worn out. All these problems, it's just, it's all, it's too much for them. I mean, having been practically starved to death and then having been accused of being spies and threatened with death and then being accused of stealing back their money that they used to pay for the corn and then being accused of stealing the silver cup and then seeing how it's going to kill their father by not returning with Benjamin. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 